Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. All right, Revelation chapter 22, stand up with me, and let's read our scripture this morning, Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no need of light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you would just speak to us now, Lord. We pray that you would encourage us in the days and and the hours in which we live. God, that we would look forward to the day when we will be with you face to face, when we will inhabit the celestial kingdom of God, where you will sit on your throne and we will serve and worship you. And we long for that moment, Lord, but we can practice today. So we pray that you would just bring us into that place this morning that we could catch a glimpse of what, what's awaiting us beyond this life, that we would be encouraged. Blow a fresh wind of fire through this place, God, in every heart of believers in this place and awaken souls, Lord, that don't know you. Awaken the hearts of those who are here this morning that don't have the confidence to know that they will one day reside with you in, in the new Jerusalem. So we ask you to bless our time, Lord. We pray you just teach us now by the power of your Holy Spirit and that your son Jesus would be clearly seen, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you, you can be seated. So I mentioned before that the, uh, one of the most epic poems ever written is by a Puritan named John Milton called Paradise Lost, if you've ever heard of that. It's considered one of the greatest works of liter- literature ever written. The title gives away the storyline, of course. It's the uh, It's about the biblical account of the fall of man from the temptation of Adam, from the fallen angel Satan to their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. It's hands down the the, literally the saddest part of the storyline in the Bible is is found in Genesis chapter 3 where the fall enters the thing. But it's not the end of the story, is it? We know that uh, there is a redemptive story written uh, through the thread of Scripture, and it ends up in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22 kind of combined, where it speaks to us about paradise regained. It's an amazing story. It's really, uh, you know, we find that paradise was lost in the garden through the sin of man, one man, and, and it was regained through the sin of one man. This is the thread of Scripture, folks. It's what the story is all about. Yes, we fell, but Jesus came to redeem us and to, uh, you know, reconcile us to the Father. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace 
and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Amen? Is that amazing for us or what? The bookends of the Bible are paradise lost, but paradise regained, and Jesus Christ is the thread that connects them. It's an amazing story, folks. And it's a story that we can receive for ourselves by grace through faith in Christ alone. There is no other way for us to end up in paradise regained. It's the only way for us to get there. Jesus Christ came to die on a cross to rise again from the dead so that we could go there with him forever. And that's what he longs for us. You know, Milton wrote the sequel to the book, Paradise Lost. It is called Paradise Regained. And that's what I'm calling my message this morning because Revelation chapter 22 is the inside look of what Paradise Regained looks like. And there is nothing better than talking about paradise, amen? Or would you guys like to flip back to Revelation chapter 12 and we can start talking about the, the judgments coming down on earth and all of that. We've already done that. We don't want to keep doing that. That is the truth, but there's a redeemer that came so that we wouldn't have to experience those things. Or if we find ourselves in that place that we can be redeemed even though we may have to walk through that if we weren't a believer before the rapture of the church, which we believe happens pre-trib, pre-the tribulation period. So, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a great thing to talk about paradise regained because that is where we will spend eternity. It is not pie in the sky, folks. This is not a theological thought. This is a reality. It's a place that you and I get to go to one day in Christ, and we should be excited about that. Spurgeon said it like this. He said, when you talk about heaven, let your face light up with a heavenly glow. And when you talk about hell, your everyday face will do just fine. So, you know, there you go. You have that. So, so what exactly is paradise? What is it? In our world, paradise, the term is relative, right? So we say, we say stuff like this. Well, paradise to me is what? And you have this image here of the, this incredible you know, uh, you know, sandy beach overlooking an aqua green water with the tiki umbrellas and the sweet bamboo lounge chair. You can insert yourself in that picture and you're like, ah, paradise, you know, for some of you, for some of you, some of you that doesn't turn your crank. So there, there, there might be something else that you might be looking for. And so here we have the the tranquil lake nestled at the base of some epic mountains, you know, with uh, the luscious evergreen forest that runs down to the, uh, to the shoreline, and you got the grizzlies eating the salmon right off the side there. You know, I mean, it's not in the picture, but that, in my mind, that's paradise. I like to think about that. I love uh, the outdoors like that. But, but the word paradise in the Bible, it, it, it has its own meaning. It literally means enclosed park or garden enclosed park or garden. That's why we associate it with the Garden of Eden. But do you know the Garden of Eden is never called paradise in the Bible? Ever. It's never called paradise. It is paradise. It was paradise for sure. I mean, the Lord was there and, and the, no doubt the scenery was paradise for sure, but it was never called the paradise in the Bible. There's only three times the word paradise is used in the Bible. All three of them are in the New Testament and they all three speak of different places. 
So here's the thing. Paradise changes throughout Scripture. And here's why it changes. Because pre-Christ, paradise was a different place. When Christ came, paradise presently is, is a different place. And paradise regained is a totally different place. There's three different paradises. The first time we see this used is in Luke 23, 43. The thief on the cross saying to Jesus, hey, don't forget me, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was referring to, as I said before, Abraham's bosom. There's a diagram up here you can look at if you're not familiar with that. This comes from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. You can read it later. But Sheol or hell, the, the, the abode of, the, of death or dead, where, the dead ray, where, where, where the dead live or, you know, during that time was uh, divided into two places. There was a place of torment and then there was Abraham's bosom. And of course, paradise is referred to then when Jesus uses it in that context as Abraham's bosom, the place where believers went before Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead. That's where they went. Old Testament believers who were looking forward to the coming of Christ up until the point of Jesus died and rose again from the dead, they went there. Ephesians chapter four tells us then Jesus, after he rose again from the dead, he led captivity captive. That means he emptied out Abraham's bosom and all of those people went to be with the Lord in the second paradise known as the third heaven by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses two through four. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into what? paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So there Paul is talking about the third heaven, the third heaven. Heaven's being divided up into three different sections. And the, this was the understanding of the heavens. The first heaven being our atmosphere, the sky that you look up into. The second heavens being the starry hosts or, you know, outer space or whatnot. And the third heaven is the place that God reigns. That's where he is currently, in the third heaven. Uh, that is what Paul is referring to as paradise currently. When we die now, because Jesus has rose again from the dead and he led captivity captive, when you and I die, to be absent from the body is to what? Be present with the Lord. So we, I answered the question for you. You guys didn't even know it. So here's the thing. Uh, you know, we go to be with the Lord today in the second paradise being spoken of in Scripture. That's where the Lord is currently. And that's where we get to go when we die. But that is in our final resting place. No, Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, there's a different place that we rest, rest in paradise forever. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant uh, to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Is this paradise being spoken of Eden? No. He's talking about you get to eat of this forever. Where is this paradise? This paradise is in the new Jerusalem that we see today. Why do we know this? Because it says the tree of life is there. This is a different paradise. If you've never been, you know, never had a clear understanding of heaven, here's what you need to understand, is that the heaven where God resides today is not the heaven you will reside with him forever. That's not the same place. He's going to destroy the heavens and the earth. Because of sin, 
all of that's going away. He creates a new earth, a new heavens, and a new Jerusalem that comes down on the new earth. God will reign and rule in the new Jerusalem, and we will reside with him forever and ever in that place. That's where we get to go forever. Will we go and inhabit the new earth? I don't know, probably. It'll be cool if we get to. But what I know is where he is, we will be. And it tells us he's gonna be in the new Jerusalem on his throne there. That's where you and I get to be forever and ever. But when we die in this moment, as of post-cross of Jesus, post-resurrection, we get to be in the presence of the Lord. So that will be paradise no matter what. You know, you'll, you'll definitely uh, sense it as such. Paradise uh, regained here then is what we're going to talk about in our text. This is our final residing place forever and ever. And, and there are three specific elements that we find in paradise regained here that every paradise should have. It should have a crystal clear river, should have a fruitful tree and brilliant light, all from one source who is God, right? So, so that's what makes paradise paradise. But first let's consider the river in paradise regained, verse one, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. So if you were with us last week, you know that the angel that is really John's tour guide of the New Jerusalem is one of the seven angels from the seven plagues. So one, you know, John gets to hang out with this dude that's dumped down God's wrath upon the earth. It was, he was probably nervous. He's seen him before. He saw him come, come in on that seventh, the, when the seventh bowl judgment was poured out. So he probably recognized him. him. But, but first we saw in, in Revelation 21 verse 9, through the end of the chapter, we saw the outside of the New Jerusalem. John was getting a tour of the outside of the, of the, of the New Jerusalem there. He showed him the, the walls and the foundation and all that kind of stuff. And now John gets to go inside the walls of the New Jerusalem and, he gets, and he's shown three specific things here. These are important to uh, the, the, the paradise regained apparently because these are the things that he's shown. The first thing he shows him is the river of the water of life. I can only imagine what this angel was like, John, John, you, you got to see this river, dude. Wait till we get in here. Let me show you. This thing is going to blow your mind. It is crystal clear. You can see right through it. It is amazing. The first question we have is, is that a literal river or is that a symbolic river? What kind of river is this? You know, well, when we look at the Bible and we consider the word water, water is used symbolically of all kinds of different things. So let me give you some examples. So in Isaiah 48, verse 18, water is symbolic of peace and, and righteousness. It says here, oh, that you would had paid attention to my commands, then, you, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. So water representing uh, peace and righteousness. Zechariah 14, 8 speaks of provisions. He says, Oh, that day living, on that day living water shall flow from the Jerusalem, half, of the, half to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. Again, the, the, the water's flowing out of Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom here to provide for all of humanity. That's what that's speaking of, speaking of provision. Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 through 9 Again, this is millennial kingdom time frame, but the waters there being spoken of, the water that flows from Jerusalem all the way down to the Dead Sea that makes the Dead Sea alive again is, um, you know, speaking of life. But here, 
in our passage, this water is symbolic of eternal life. The same water that Jesus spoke about to the woman at the well. You remember that story? I just referenced it last week. John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. The water Jesus spoke about was symbolic of eternal life. And uh, he was promising that it would well up, meaning it would be abundant. Here we find John saying that the eternal life, the waters that are found in the river in the New Jerusalem, it's a river. It's not a creek. It's not a stream. It's a river. There's abundance there, and it will yield eternal life. There's no reason to think that this isn't a literal river that has symbolic meaning. I think that's, that's the way I take it. It's, it. There's definitely elements that go on in the text to describe it as a literal river. A lot of people take this as symbolic. But if you look at the rest of the scripture, it, we're going to see that the roots of the tree of life are, are inside of it. How is this symbolic? This is, this is probably a literal li little river that has some symbolism to it. And because I love fishing, you know, there has to be water in heaven, so there's gotta be a river so that I can fish. So I'm going with that, the, that this is a literal river here. Um, and, and maybe you'll be with me. I can't wait to see the trout in heaven, man. As I catch the trout, they're probably gonna taste like cheeseburgers. So you, know, you pull them out, you're like, whoa, this is like a cheeseburger. Wow, amazing. The first thing that we notice is the appearance of the river here, of the water of life. It's bright as crystal, meaning it's transparent. You can see right through it. You ever been in crystal clear water before? Like you're out in the Gulf and it's just like crystal clear. You can see it down at the bottom. You can see the sharks swimming underneath you, <laughs> making you nervous. You know, you're like, whoa, I, I was out probably a couple miles offshore in a little piece of plastic uh, in my kayak, and I was fishing out there one time, and uh, I, I looked down, and there's, there's a shark circling around right underneath my kayak, and I'm like, it's time to go. <laughs> so I just paddled my way in. My, my son is like in the back of the kayak. It's a one-person kayak. We probably shouldn't have did that, but anyway, uh, it was a little scary, but, but it's awesome to see crystal clear water, isn't it? You can just see clearly, you can see the bottom, and you can see all the sea creatures. So incredible in the same water, in the same trip on my way back in, guess what? I looked down and I saw a 30-foot whale shark. They're a vegetarian, so I wasn't afraid. I almost jumped in and swam alongside of that thing, you know, but, but amazing. So cool to see that. This river in heaven is going to be crystal clear. It's going to be the clearest water that you could imagine. And not only that, but remember we talked about last week, God being the light and everything, and it's in our text today. Could you imagine the light reflecting off of this crystal clear water and all the colors that are exploding off of that, you know, the reflections of that? It is gonna be amazing. You better bring your shades, or maybe the Lord will give you some shades. Peter won't be at the gate giving them to you, I promise, he won't be there. But you should, you're gonna need some. Secondly, John not only tells us about the appearance of the river, but also the source of the river. It flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. So um, what we find here is the source is the Lord himself. That is what makes it the river of the water of life. 
outside of it not flowing from God, it's just water. But when it comes from God, it's eternal water. Everything that comes from God is eternal. You came from God, guess what? You're eternal. You have an eternal destination. When you die, it's not just over. We all will reside in eternity forever because we're from God. God is the source of this water. And this water is alive because God is the source. It's also interesting to note that John couples here, um, you know, the throne of God and of the Lamb. God and the Lamb, one throne because they're both God. Jesus is God. John always takes the opportunity in all of his writings to bring out the deity of Jesus Christ. This is something that, you know, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. One of the most emphatic statements that Jesus was, John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus, Jesus is God. That's what that says. But John in all of his writings makes that an emphasis every time he comes across it. I think that that blew his mind. When he finally got that, like it was, some of us are just like, okay, I don't really quite understand that, so it doesn't really blow my mind. But John got it, and because he got it, he emphasized it. Like this is amazing. Paul got it, Philippians chapter two, where he's like, it's just unbelievable. It's something to be grasped that Jesus was God and he became a man. Like that just blew his mind. This blew John's mind, and he references it twice in five verses here where he says the throne of God is also the throne of Jesus because Jesus is God. This river ha- happens to be a focal point in the celestial kingdom. Must be that we walk in the gates and there's the river. But it's not, it's the river, the source of the river is the throne of God. And, and so it, this whole idea of it maybe just being it's the street. So is there more streets in heaven? Probably, but this is the one. You know, it's the one where, you know, wh- where people go because it's the center. It's the idea here. And this river is to be a focal point in the celestial kingdom because the river leads to the throne. And the throne provides the river with all that it needs to provide the tree with all that it needs to provide eternal life. It's an amazing picture here that all the centerpiece of heaven is God himself. You already know that. But man, when we get there, it's going to be amazing that we, when we come to that place and we see the Lord, it's in the middle of the, 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 city, uh, middle of the street in the city. This is also a different this tell, indicates to us this is a different river than Ezekiel was speaking about. Ezekiel's river in uh, Ezekiel 47 is uh, speaking specifically about the millennial kingdom, the river that flows there. This is the celestial kingdom where the New Jerusalem is, and, and this river will be crystal clear in paradise regained. Well, not only do we have the river, but we also have a fruitful tree there. Look at verse, the rest of verse 2 there. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Trees are important to our world today. I don't know how much you know about trees, but uh, do you know one large tree produces a day's worth of oxygen for up to four people? That's how important trees are. So if you're just printing on paper all the time, you might want to rethink that, you know, you just enjoy the breath, you know, you know what I mean? 
Uh, but you, tough crowd. Oh. Uh, however, it, 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 the idea, though, is real trees, in a sense, give life, right? I mean, they give us oxygen, which allows us to uh, breathe. And so they do give life. But the tree in, in the celestial kingdom, in the new, new Jerusalem, man, this is literal life. You get life from this tree. It's the tree of life. That's why it's the same tree being spoken of in the Garden of Eden, but this isn't the Garden of Eden. This is the Celestial Kingdom. Did that tree get replanted to over here? I don't know. God's pretty creative. He probably could have made a new one. I don't know, maybe. But, but here's what I know is that Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden so that they wouldn't eat of the tree of life, so that they wouldn't have to live in the fallen nature forever and ever. Wouldn't that suck? Man, uh, thankfully the Lord removed them and we don't have to do that. This is a literal tree located on either side of, of the river here. Some suggest that John is describing one tree where the roots kind of flow on both sides of the river and it yields these, the, all this kind of fruit. And then uh, others say that this is a row of trees up the side of, the, uh, of both sides of the river. I think it's probably the first one. Probably one tree that comes down and, and roots itself in the river. It's the tree of life. Where does it get the life from the river, which is the river of the water of life, which where does it get, the, where does it get its life from the throne of God? So God is the source of light. He's the source of life. Jesus said it like this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This tree is going to bear much fruit, it says here. Specifically, 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Now, this is difficult to interpret. Does it mean that there's going to be 12 harvests of the same fruit every year? Or does this mean that there's going to be 12 different harvests of different kinds of fruit 12 times a year? I like the latter part of it because I like variety, you know. Some people might choose the first, but we'll have to wait and see. We don't really know. But, but the tree of life is going to be incredibly fruitful. And here's what I want to tell you about that. Do you know that you're, in a sense you are a picture of the tree of life and, you, and you're supposed to be yielding fruit? Where do we get the fruit? From God. The Holy Spirit inside of us. He's supposed to yield fruit in our lives. We're supposed to be fruitful people. The Holy Spirit, he's the source of our fruit. The fruit comes out of us because we yield ourselves to the Lord. This tree is incapable of producing fruit unless it allows the water from the throne of God to, you know, absorb through the roots and that's why it has fruit. Some of us try to put fruit in our lives like it's a task. I have to have fruit. Love, check, peace, Check, that's not true love, that's not true peace. True love and true peace come from us surrendering ourselves to the Lord. When we surrender ourselves to the Lord, we gain the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're supposed to be, like we're supposed to, in a sense, be like this tree who yields much fruit. Uh, you know, apparently we're going to be vegetarians in uh, the, the, the new celestial kingdom because it tells us that we were, we're gonna be healed from the leaves of the trees of the nations. And we'll be eating the fruit and we'll be fruititarian, vegetarian. What, maybe you get to pick, who knows? But uh, uh, you know, I guarantee you that the fruit's different than what you eat here. Could you imagine in May, May 5th specifically, 
You go to the tree of life, you pull off one of those things and you eat it and it tastes like tacos, Cinco de Mayo. You're like, whoa, this is the best Mexican food I've ever had in my life. This is better than Tex-Mex or California Mexican. This is amazing. And every month you yield some kind of different fruit and you take off there and you're like, whoa, this is, a, you know, like, this tastes like barbecue ribs, you know? Honey, did you go check this out? You know, it's like uh, an apple that tastes like barbecue ribs or something. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, some of you had your heart set on, on meat, but I promise you, you'll be totally fine with the fruit and the leaves. Why are, why are there leaves that heal the nations in the Garden of Eden? Why is that? Why are there leaves that were for the healing of the nations. It seems strange, doesn't it? There's no more sickness in the New Jerusalem. There's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. Why do we need healing in the, the New Jerusalem or the celestial city? Um, think of it like this. It's not healing in the sense that you're sick and then you're becoming well, but you're well and then you stay well. You know what I mean? So, so MacArthur explained it like this. The leaves of the tree can be likened to supernatural vitamins. Since vitamins are taken not to treat illness, but to promote general health. Perhaps that's the idea. The word healing there literally means to provide service or ministry. I wonder if this isn't here for the purpose of telling us that we are not all self-encompassed or self-sustaining in heaven. Some of us have the idea that when we get to heaven, we just won't need God. We'll just be perfect and we won't need God at all and we'll just go about our business and God will just be there, but you know, we'll worship him and everything, but, but we're, we're okay on our own at that point. No, you're not. You'll never be okay on your own. You'll always need God. And I think the picture of this is, is that God is providing for you and I to stay healthy, to stay dependent on him in, in, in heaven. And, and we find the, the leaves of the tree of life that are, you know, soaking up the water of the wa water of life, which flows from the throne there. He's the source and we're dependent on him. Don't think for a second that when you get to heaven, you're not gonna need him. You will need him and you'll want to need him. And you'll be okay with needing him. Everything will be great, but, but the idea of, you know, the Lord just, just providing for us through this tree is amazing. Maybe that's why it's, this seems to be the focal point of the New Jerusalem. He's not taking them down side streets and showing them, check out this cool little shop over here, you know, John. No, he took them to the center of town. He said, this is the most important place because there's the throne and there's life from the throne. Just an amazing picture here. Uh, some of you thought like, man, I thought I was going to be done eating my greens. Nope, you will not be. But heaven will never disappoint, I promise you that. So th this brings us to our, the last element in paradise regained, which is brilliant light provided by God himself. Look at verse 3. No longer will there be any cur anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So paradise isn't paradise without some amazing light, right? I mean, isn't that what you do when you're at the beach and you go down and you're like, ah, can't wait to see the sun rise. It's so amazing, right? And then you get out there right at dusk and you're like, I can't wait to see the sun go down because it's so amazing. Why? Because the light 
reflecting off the water looks amazing, right? Lighting matters. And, and, and in paradise, the lighting is going to be epic. It's all, God is going to be the light. He'll be the provider and all of that. But you can imagine it reflecting off of, uh, you know, the gold streets and the, and the diamond-like, you know, walls and the, the crystal-like river and all this stuff. What that yields will be some sort of a rainbow that just explodes all over the place. There will be, uh, you know, people that um, say they've had visions of heaven or, or such, you know, like, like Paul even, uh, you know, said he knew a man, probably him himself, People who have spoke about these sorts of things talk about the vivid colors of what they've seen. And, and I can tell you, I, I haven't had a vision of heaven, but I've had a vision. And the Lord gave, and the colors in the vision were so vivid that it was just undescribable or indescribable. Unbelievable. You can't, why, why bother trying to explain that? That's why Paul uh, didn't say like, hey, let me tell you what the third heaven was like. What's the point? I can't communicate what it was like. Colors will be amazing, but a lot of that has to do with the light, the source of the light, the Lord. Notice it says here that no longer will there be anything accursed. Now you have to, that, that should beg a question in your mind. What is that like? What is that like? What is it like to never have to encounter anything that's accursed? Why do we ask that question? Because we, we've never experienced that. You've never experienced that. Your entire life, every day, you have, it's been permeated with the fall of man. Every day of your life. You've never experienced what it means to, to be in an environment where nothing is accursed. Everything is accursed around you. Everything. It's all a result of the fall of man. But God is going to provide a, a, a paradise where nothing is accursed. Everywhere you look will be perfection. You won't see any death. You won't see anything, anything that represents death. You won't see uh, leaves dying and falling down. There will be, you know, there won't be any fall. You know, it, it'll be beautiful all the time, unless you consider that beauty fallen. It's cool when the the leaves change. Wouldn't it be cool if they just changed and then they stayed on the tree? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? It'd be like full, you know, it's just like, it's like the LED thing your kids have in your room. You're like, whoa, whoa, you know, like, wouldn't that be cool? But, but it'll be amazing. Nothing will be accursed. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. Hashtag abundant life. That's what it's gonna be like. And, and uh, that's because the throne of God and the lamb will be in it, it says. God is what makes paradise paradise, and you know that already. Again, John specifically bringing out the idea that the throne of God and the Lamb, are the, it's the same throne, declaring Jesus equal with God. His throne speaks of ruling. It speaks of, uh, you know, co controlling the environment. His presence dictates a perfect paradise where holiness and perfect love reign. What is it like to be loved perfectly? We know that because God loves us perfectly, but, but we will sense that in, in, in this place. It will be so amazing. Not only that, but then we will also serve and worship him. Serve and worship him. And it, it, won't, be the, it won't be the, oh, I have to serve God today. No, it's going to be, I get to serve God today. 
Shouldn't we practice that now? Shouldn't we be like, hey, I get to do this today. I don't have to. Here's the thing is like sometimes we approach Christianity where, where we're coming at it from a duty standpoint rather than devotion. This is a relationship. You know, you get up on Sunday morning and you're like, I gotta go to church. Man, the Lord, you know what the Lord says? No, you don't. You don't have to do anything. Why? Because this is a relationship. God won't force you to do a single thing. You're forcing yourself to do it out of duty, but God's not put that duty on you. God says, come if you want to. Isn't that kind of strange? He's the God of the universe. He created you, you know, as a dad. I'm like, no, you're going to do what I say, you know. And my, my kids are little. Now they tell me that. You know, they're older. <laughs> not really, but, but, you know, God's not, God hasn't laid out a list of rules for you to follow out of duty. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. You know, I have to serve in children's ministry today, so I got to be there and blah, blah, blah. No, you don't. No, you don't. And in fact, if that's your attitude, you probably shouldn't. You probably shouldn't. You probably should sit before the Lord and let him deal with your sinful heart is probably what should happen. You see, we have to make a shift in our thinking that what we're doing isn't a have to, but it's a get to. We get to serve him. And here's what we don't associate with our serving him is that it's our worship to him. Uh, whether you eat or drink, do everything for the glory of God. That's not a duty, that's devotion. That means that somebody who understands that scripture says, it doesn't matter what I'm doing because I'm doing it for the glory of God and I'm doing it with joy and with a happy heart because I love my Lord. Now, when you, you get over, honey, you get over here and give me a kiss, you know, and that's your duty. You're my wife, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, no, it's a relationship. She gets to give me a kiss. You know what I mean? Listen, I'm the lucky one. I promise you. I'm the lucky one here. But, but my, my point is that, listen, in, in, the, in the Garden of Eden, the fall, uh, when it happened and the curse came, did you know work wasn't part of the curse? Work exists before the curse. So in other words, we will work in heaven forever. You'll have some job and you'll do something and you'll do it gladly. And you'll do it with a happy heart and you will serve God with everything that you got. You will bring yourself as an offering to him every moment for all of eternity, you will give yourself over to him gladly. And you should practice that now. You should practice that now. How, how do I get a heart like that? You press into God. If you, if you have a duty mentality versus a devotion mentality, you have a heart problem. And you have maybe even a, a theological problem. Maybe you, you don't understand it's by grace through faith in Christ that it's not what I do that matters at all. I don't, I'm not here doing what I'm doing. Sam's not going to Brazil, uh, you know, to, to, because he's, he has a duty to God to do that. And, and Mike doesn't do what he does because he has a duty to God to do that. You know, you're, you're, you're not serving God here, I hope, um, because you have a duty to God to do these things. You're doing this because you love the Lord. And you want to show him you love him. And you want to give him your worship. And that's how you do it. You worship him through your hands and your feet 
and your mouth and your mind and your entire being. You give yourself over to him completely. That's how you worship him. And it just so happens that the mode in which we do that is through service to him. We, we give ourselves over to him. It's not just service, but that's part of it. It's part of it, you know. It's, it's, um, it's doing things for the Lord, uh, you know, out of devotion. I get up early in the morning and if I see a pile of dishes in the dish, you know, in the sink and stuff, and I want to bless my wife, I'll do them. Not because I have to, but because I want to bless her and I love her. And so she'll get up in the morning, she'll like, hey. She won't even notice, really. But, but, but in my mind, she's like, hey, honey, you did this for me? Oh, my gosh, you're so awesome. That's what I'm thinking as I'm drinking my coffee. But I do it because I love her and I, bl- I want to bless her. And that's why we do these things for the Lord. We do it because we get to. Listen, in heaven, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> hi-ho, hi-ho, off to work we go. You know, we're going to be, dude, it's us. That's us. There's no grumpy in this one, though. You're just going to be going to work. You're all happy and everything. You're like, whoa. It, it's going to be amazing. And, and here's the thing is, the, the, the thing that will motivate us is that we get to see him face to face. We get to see him face to face. Here, Paul is saying, you'll, you'll see him, you'll see his face. You'll see his face. You will see the Lord face to face. Uh, Spurgeon said, it is the chief blessing of heaven, the cream of heaven, the heaven of heaven that the saints shall see Jesus. I love that. We get to see him face to face. Not only that, but we'll have his name written on our foreheads. Uh, you know, some of them are going to be like a billboard. You know, you got a gigantic forehead. It's like, whoa. Whoa, I see that one. Whoa. Um, but that's what Jesus said, you know, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. He said, the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Uh, never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. You're gonna have a lot written on you, man. So we're marked with the Holy Spirit currently, but in paradise regained, we'll be marked with his name. John goes on in verse five here, and he says, the night will be no more. There will be no light, uh, no need of light, of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. Natural light is so important for us. And I don't know, we've probably learned a lot about how important natural light is to us in the last couple years, thanks to COVID, right? Vitamin D, we gotta have vitamin D. Vitamin D is what, support, what helps us with our immune systems to deal with viruses that people make and send them out to us, you know, kind of thing. But, but we, hey, listen. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> listen, at the end of the day, uh, you, we need light, why? Because we're made in the image of God and God is light. Did you, you don't understand, I don't know if you understand the, how important light is to us. You know why you wake up in the morning? Uh, there's a thing in your body called circadian rhythms. Maybe you've heard of them, but you're, you're literally, your body has, your, when your eyelids are shut, you have sensors in your eyelids that when light, when it starts to, when light starts to pierce your room, it hits these sensors and it invokes an entire biological process in, and, and it yields a bunch of like, it starts to surge you with hormones to cause your body to wake up. That's why you wake up. This is God designed. It's by light 
that we do that. Do you know people that work shift work that, that, that really sleep during the day and they work at night? Do you know that they have a 50% greater chance of dying from heart disease and diabetes and all that kind of stuff? Because our bodies are designed to be in light. People that work in offices that, that, that don't have any access to natural lighting at all are less productive. It's proven. Study after study after study. People that have depression and stuff like that, you look at states where, where light is gone for, like Alaska for a period of time, there's just a period of time where it's just dark all the time, people are depressed because light affects our mood. So bros, listen, if your wife is in a bad mood, take her for a walk out in the sun. You know, you'll do, you're doing yourself a favor here. I'm just telling you, and ladies, if your husband is in a bad mood, give him a Snickers bar, okay? <laughs> He's probably just hangry, but... But light is so important to us, man. It's so important to our bodies. And heaven is going to be designed this way. Heaven is going to be designed where the light of God will shine down on us and it will bless us. And John goes on to say that the night will be no more. I used to hate night as a kid. Because when it was nighttime, I couldn't play. I couldn't be outside. I couldn't do those kind of things. So I couldn't wait for the day to come. I love daytime. I love from, from, the, from dawn to dusk, dude. We were outside playing baseball, basketball, football, fighting each other, dude. We were doing all kinds of stuff. It was a blast, throwing rocks at cars, you know. We were doing all this stuff. But uh, that was before I knew Jesus, so. Uh, and I love that still. As, a, as an adult, I love waking up and just the light pouring into my house and I'm just sitting there with a cup of coffee. I love light and we're gonna be in his light forever. It's gonna be amazing. Not only that, John goes on to say, we will rule, we will reign forever and ever. One day you're gonna rule and reign with Christ. You will rule and reign with him on earth. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know who's gonna be on earth. I don't know, uh, you know what your job is going to be, but you'll, you are of a royal priesthood you're gonna reign with him. That has royal um, connotations to it. It means to exercise authority at a royal level. You're gonna rule and reign with him. The, the last portion of the song that sang when Jesus takes the scroll from Revelation chapter five says this in Revelation 5.10, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. You're gonna reign with Christ. You're gonna, you're gonna exercise authority, his authority he's given to you, um, and you will judge angels, Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse three. Do you not know that you, we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Well, Hebrews uh, 2.7 tells us we're a little lower than the angels currently, but when we're in the celestial kingdom, we are going to be above the angels. We'll be ruling the angels. So, this is like nothing we've ever experienced or nothing we could either f even fathom, really. But it's coming one day. Paradise was lost in the Garden of Eden, but paradise was regained through Jesus Christ, and we're headed there in Christ one day. And I hope you're encouraged by that. Uh, you know, you look out at the world today, and you think like, man, it can't come quick enough. But don't forget, there's plenty of people that aren't going there yet that God needs to get there. And he's using you guys, he's using me to go into the world and preach the gospel to people so that they can have the same hope that you have. Hey, listen, somebody told you about Jesus. How about you pay it forward and tell somebody else about him, amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for your grace and goodness. Lord, we pray that uh, this morning would have been an encouragement to our hearts, God, that we, as we consider
Paradise regained. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For not leaving us in this fallen state, but for coming to pay the price so that we could be redeemed, reconciled, justified by faith in Christ alone. We pray, Lord, this morning that you would encourage us, Lord, that although things may be tough and we may find ourselves in, in difficult places here in this life, Lord, but there's better days ahead. Paradise is coming for all of us one day for us in Christ, I should say. For anyone here this morning, Lord, that's not in right relationship, I pray you draw them to yourself, that you help them to have the same hope that we can have in you through your son, Jesus Christ, by putting our faith in you this morning. So, Lord, we pray you draw people to yourself. And we thank you in advance for just the time that we've had this morning, how that's going to yield fruit in our lives. We pray you take us this morning, God, into the world and remind us that it's not about this life. It's about eternity. So help us to keep our mindset on things above. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.